And hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's 11 o'clock on Saturday. You know what time it is for. It's time for the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And I'm Eileen Grimes, astrologer, and my co-host, Mr. Doug Johnston. And it's good to be here on this beautiful day. It's getting it's, to be beautiful. It's a gorgeous day. <laughs> I could drive straight up, no traffic. It was wonderful. That's true. It was. Well, you know, the cool thing is the, the freeway wasn't shut down like we thought it was going to be. Right. That was the best 11 o'clock at night till 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's right. And they're going to shut it down again tonight. So. Because they're putting a big bridge over the top of the freeway. I know. This gigantic thing that it's you said you huge, saw. Huge, huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to see that, but. Anyway, they're doing that on I-5, right right about where Fife and... In Just before where, 54th Avenue. Okay. If and you're then, coming from the north down. And then also goes up to about uh, Highway 18, I think. That's, that's well, that's where you, if it's blocked, you have to come back on up there at Highway 18. Oh, okay. So anyway, they, they threatened they were going to you know close the thing all weekend, basically. But they opened it this morning. I was very happy to see that. They had it in place. Yes, they did. Good uh, job. And I did see it the night before. Yeah, that's really, it was. As they were bringing it in and turning the corner. and It was, must have looked like a I, giant ship or something. It was so gigantic that they had a truck up front and they had a truck underneath, driving underneath at the back end. That's crazy. Jeez. So just to get around the corner. Yeah. I'd be sort of. It, I kept saying it sounds like an All airplane. All traffic stopped when he went around oh, the well, corner. I would trust think me. So yeah, of course. No so. one was going anywhere. <laughs> so they took over the road. Took over the road. Anyway, so today on the show we have on for our astro celebrity of the week, Miss J.K. Rowling, and I know there's a reason we're doing that. You usually pick stuff that's pretty current in the news, but you'll probably tell me that anyway in just a second. And then also we're going to have on a little bit later, we're going to have on our guest of the week, Mr. Michelangelo Rana, whatever his name is. I, he said that his N.A. was because he didn't, he wanted to have a second name, so it was non-applicable, N.A. That's, <laughs> I, we, we'll go with that, nah. 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 Anyway, so, um, and he's going to be talking about a piece that he wrote on the, the composer Sergei Rachmaninoff. And uh, if you haven't heard of him, he's sort of a romantic slash 20th century composer. He he was born late last uh, a couple centuries ago, 1873, and died, I believe, 1943 or something like that. So anyway, we're going to be talking about him. You're going to have interspersed here some a little bit of his music just so you can hear what he was like. So that will be very good. So anyway, we're going to do that today. Let me tell you, when I read his thing, it's so detailed, and I, I teased him about his Mercury and Virgo the last time I saw him because he's so detailed that it was about 12 pages, 15 pages long, this this thing, and about three to four pages in, I was crossing my eyes. I said, I don't, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it till tomorrow. <laughs> so, detail, detail, detail. Yeah, details. I'm going to let him talk most of the time. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to be able to look at somebody with a very deep astrological uh, connection and, and that he has basically kind of dissected it. So we're going to take a look at that. So it'll be very cool. So anyway, we're going to do all that here in just a minute. We're going to take a break right now. But when we get back, we're going to do Astro the Celebrity of the Week. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio.
Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. And welcome back to everybody to the show. And now it's time for Astro Celebrity of the Week. That was, what was which movie was that from? It's all of them. It's the standard Harry Potter theme. Oh, it is? See, I'm not really that familiar with it. I could hear the magic in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> Thank you very much. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, that stuff cracks me up. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk about her a little bit today. And her birthday is July 31st, 1965 at 9.10 p.m. And it's at Yate, England, she was born. And we're not too sure about her time, but we're using kind of a rectified chart. At least from what I can tell, the site I got this from. So, um, anyway, what do you think of this chart? It's really compact. Well, <laughs> I can understand why she could use adjectives the way she did, because <laughs> she described things and you could see it in your mind so perfectly. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. read every book she's written. Oh, you have? Okay. Um, this screams that when you have all of that Virgo yeah. opposite to her Saturn in Pisces. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's That says an awful lot in itself. You know, when you have that much compacted, I mean, you have how many other five planets in the seventh house? You know, if that's where, indeed where that is. Um, it's sort of like everything, you know, all these pl- function of these planets are all working with each other somehow, you know. Well, if you look at the sun sign alone... Square Neptune, right, and trine Saturn. Okay, and so that's the illusion of writing the illusion. Oh, sure, yeah, and with the Neptune, mystical big time. And ninth in ninth house Neptune. I mean, that's that's her far out, uh, really non Earth things, you know, in a different consciousness. Sun in Sun in Leo, so she's going to write a child's book. Oh yeah, for sure. That everyone is going to fall in love with. Yep. And, you know, I remember uh, my former um, editor for the book that I wrote also had Mercury in Virgo. I think it was conjoined Pluto, very close to what this is doing. She was just crackerjack at any little thing that I got in there that was wrong. She'd pick it one out, one little teeny word, and pull it out of there. She says, well, that was wrong. You know, but she would be analyzing the mm, out of things like crazy, and um, I'm really glad I hired her because her what eyes. Was, I missed what was. That was my self censor. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah, see? <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, that was. So I just figured I didn't want to say that word, so I just deleted it out of my brain. Got it. Okay. So anyway, um, I just remember her chart. It was extraordinary. And I thought, well, she's the one I need to have do it because she's not going to miss anything. So for anyone that doesn't see her chart as far, she has Mercury, Venus, Uranus, Pluto, and Moon. Yeah. In a stellar going up as far 
all in Virgo. All in Virgo, yep. It's and amazing. The, and the interesting thing is that she has a quintile, I think, or maybe it's a biquintile. Yeah, it's a biquintile. Biquintile. Yeah, from her Mercury to her Saturn. I think that's a little bit of a metaphysical sort of thing, isn't it? Well, it's pretty magical, right? But she it, wrote it that way. It's two quintiles put into one. Yep. Yeah, so... It's a kind of an obscure sort of aspect, but it does sort of show genius on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yes, I can see that here. And with the sun in the sixth house, she was definitely work, work, work. It's called bucking all odds and pushing through. Yep, she did, too. And, uh, is you know, if this chart is right, and I suspect that it might be. And, oh, let's talk about the stationary planets that she's got, too. Yeah. These are interesting. Okay, why don't you tell us what they well, are? Mercury is stationary retrograde. The yeah. very next day it went retrograde. Wow, yeah. So that's 100%. Uh-huh. And Neptune was stationary direct two days later. You can't get any closer than that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an incredible play. Mercury and Neptune, that's exactly, if you're going to describe her astrological, those are the two planets you'd describe her with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of her way she writes fantasy. Fantasy is Neptune. Mercury is communication and, and writing and all that good stuff. So um, she was possessed by something. She had to write. Oh, no question about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's interesting about stationary planets. You have a choice when you've incarnated and you've got one or two of those. You have to make use of it somehow in a good way or in a not-so-good way. And a not-so-good way isn't great. But it, it tends to run your life then if it's in the not-so-good vein. But if it's in the good vein, it, it's, it's going to take you into the outer orbit of anything. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for my turn to get into space. You know, I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> You're Saturn being stationary. <laughs> direct. Uh, direct. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's, I got it's it. Its turn is coming. Its turn is coming, right. Yep. Okay. So but there you go. This is a very interesting chart. Yeah, it is very interesting. And yeah. what's interesting for everyone is for the next person's got almost the same chart reversed. <laughs> I know. Which really kind of boggles the mind when it we really look does. At it really does. This so. is just it's phenomenal. We're going to be looking at that just in a few seconds when we talk to Michelangelo. But I thought, well, yeah, I mean, it's looked like they look like they're looking in the mirror at each other. We're finding more and more that these stationary planets, which Eileen is writing a book of and right now, are the ones that really pull these people into a different category of where they go. Yep, absolutely. They they literally come to the forefront wherever they are, it yep. seems like. Yep, they do. You know, and if everything is going right, you know, then... It it propels them to the top of something, you know, and they are very good at what they do. And it may not show normally in the chart, you know, like an overwhelming placement of something that is going to show a certain type of talent. But that's when you go to find out if it's stationary or not. And one of the best ones that I love to point out is Betty White with her stationary Saturn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's Saturn direct, and that woman has become... More famous every time she's gone through a Saturn return. That's right. She just had her, not too long ago, her third Saturn return, and she got rebranded or repopularized. And she's so funny. Oh, she she's really, truly amazing. She can say a few words and make more people laugh. I know. She was funnier than anybody else on, on Cleveland Hot and Cold or whatever it's called. 
Well, she wasn't bad in the Golden Girls either. That's true, too. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So, but so yeah, I mean, it's, it, one of these days we'll have to do a show just on stationary planets because... I think it would be a great show to do. I do, too. Maybe yeah. when we have Jackie on again, because she loves them, too. Yeah, Jackie's going to be, be on next one. week. Oh, oh, well, there's a good one. There's a good one. We could do that. Yeah. Okay. All right, we got to take a break really quick here. We can just talk all day about everything. So we'll be right back here with the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to NewProSupplements.com, we cover the world of animals. This week, August 30th, it's Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald on Animal World. This month, author Matt Shea co-hosts with Kevin, and they welcome Reagan Forster, author and hypnotherapist, and Janine Broly, life coach helping women own their own power. Should be a great show. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Talk radio that will get you thinking. Alternative Talk, 1150. Ah, that, folks, was Rachmaninoff. Now, I like to make a comment about him just before we bring on um, Mr. Michelangelo. He, he was six foot six tall, and he had gigantic hands. You could tell by that piece that was just played because it just literally took up the whole keyboard when they played. You know, and actually I studied that piece when I was sometime in my piano playing days. I was able to play about two pages of that thing. (laughs) That was about it. From that point on, it was impossible because it was so huge. And everything, hands crossed over and all this other stuff. It's very technically difficult. But it was fun to play. So, Mm. anyway, let's bring on our guest, Mr. Michelangelo. How are you? Hi, guys. I enjoyed the uh, discussion of uh, J.K. Rowling. Oh, very thank you. Thank you. Very, very interesting chart. And, of course, the stationary planets are always fascinating. I'm sure Doug will let me know if if Rachmaninoff had any. Yes, we do. We've, we've already checked that out. Yeah. Checked yeah, that out. Yeah. The first thing what, I did. What, what piece did you play, if I may ask? Was that the, pre, uh, the Prelude, Prelude C-sharp and C-sharp minor? minor. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, the one that I know the most and actually had experience playing some of it. So, yeah. so that was hard to play because it took an enormous reach. It's one of with, those pieces that grabs your attention right away. I know. Yeah. Just, the minute that you hear those keys, it's like you're listening. Yeah, I mean, it's very heroic and very mournful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, his, that's his melancholic temperament, you know, yes. showing even in the earliest stages of his career. And, uh, you know, it, it. I mean, speaking as someone whose last piano teacher said he had all the makings of a concert pianist, you know, it really does help to have that enormous reach. Uh, yes. I, I'm fortunate and I've got a fairly big one myself. Yeah. The interesting thing you mentioned, he was six foot six. I was just talking about this with my partner, Mary Elizabeth, before I got on the radio with oh, you. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Some people suggested that he might have had Marfan's syndrome. Um, oh, what is acne. that? I don't oh, know. that's where you get an, an abnormal enlargement of all the limbs yeah, um, the oh, and yeah. the, the bone structure. Uh, some okay. people say Abraham Lincoln. Also, a notable melancholic temperament also had it. Uh-huh. Alternatively, uh-huh. they said possibly could be acromegaly, which is you know pituitary giantism. Right, but, uh, right, exactly. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. But I, what's interesting about that from an astrological perspective is the and I don't know if you you guys probably have the chart in front of you. We've is got the fact it right here. The nodal, the nodal axis lies along the ascendant, descendant axis. Now I can't remember 
where I read this, but uh, depending on where the north node is vis-a-vis -vis the south node, you have people that are taller than average. For example, Christopher Reeve had, and I assume probably it's if you have the north node conjunct the ascendant that yeah. you have okay. people that are, yeah. that are a bit bigger than the average. And certainly that was the case with Rachmaninoff. Interesting. I didn't yeah. get that, just so you know. I didn't even get to six foot. <laughs> Five, eleven, and seven, eight. Where are your nose there? Five, eleven, seven, eight. <laughs> I've been suffering. <laughs> we got two so comedians the in the studio here. Oh, the anyway. sound effects are new. As I yes, they are new. As of yes, we've got a great technical person. Yes, we do. These days, and he put, he throws that stuff in when we least expect, and it cracks us up. So and that's it. the point. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So what should we um what should we target with our friend? Oh, what do we, where well, do we the start? best thing on his thing when you asked us for stationary, Uranus is stationary direct. Yes, it is. Ah, and that's okay. real tight and that says volumes in itself for well, music. Well, that says a lot about who he is and what his character and what his music was like. He was yeah. always testing the boundaries, wasn't he? To yep. kind of go outside of them. And he had well, that. he wasn't. He wasn't. I mean, it's interesting to look at the opposition between Saturn and Uranus, and I think this really represents the the disparities in his um, in his musical character. That at least the apparent disparities was what I would say. Uh, right. I mean, one of the things I focused on in my essay was the failure of his first symphony because that really was, um, you know, you don't normally hear of of someone who achieves. Uh, a tremendous amount of fame having such a notable setback which sends him into tailspin for such a long time i mean he went into a prolonged depression for four years yeah uh and, and the terrible irony of it was that that the um the first symphony which was derided and literally lambasted at the premiere for being too progressive mm -hmm. really contains within it all of the characteristic elements that later secured his fame so of course it's just, i think a question of it being just a little bit too ahead of its time yes the world was not ready for that yet I yeah, bet. You yeah. Know, I mean, it has his characteristic use of the Dies Irae chant, which informs almost all of his mature compositions, you know, right up until the symphonic dances, which is the last major orchestral work. And, okay. um, you know, and this these two poles of his personality between the desire to, as he put it right, you know, music that moves the heart mm -hmm. and the, the progressive tendencies, which were also there from the very beginning. And I, I see that expressed very vividly in the in the Saturn Uranus opposition. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. you know, of course, Saturn is also in, in a, a Uranus's sign. So that's kind of giving more energy to the progressive side for him. It would yeah, have yeah, to. For sure. Yeah, it would have yeah. to do that. You know, sort of like. And he was basically, uh, I think, excoriated by uh, his contemporaries in the early part of the 20th century because he was perceived as being self-conscious and <laughs> regressive in that he always wanted to write beautiful melodies and you know his know. his music is steeped in this don't you melodic think? nostalgia that is so don't memorable you? that you can't yeah. believe it. and yet <laughs> saturn sitting in aquarius though trining that moon would I would think that would be where he'd be aggressive as far as something totally different and unexpected. Yeah. yeah. And then with the same time you've come back to that opposition to Urana. I mean that plays yeah. out just magically. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like yeah. he's like which side of the bed does he get on it up yeah. any moment? 
You know, and, I'm yeah. up on the Saturn or the Uranus side. That you know. four-year well, you know, hiatus was probably what really threw him into that fame yeah. way beyond because he dug deeper. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And this four-year period was just before his Saturn return, by the right. way. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. at 20 years. And as I said, and it's very characteristic of his melancholic temperament, you know, that he, um, that he was... Uh, unable to extricate himself from it for the longest time. Well, you look at the uh, pictures of him, he just looks like down, you know, yeah. like he's yeah. got yeah. weights hanging on his face, pulling his weight yeah. face down, you yeah, know. Yeah. Very lugubrious looking countenance. Right. And he does have two other planets that are stationary retrograde, but they slide into it, as yeah, Jackie not, would say. Yeah. They're <laughs> degree off, so it's a slide in, but will still carry yeah, a lot it, of weight. It, it, yeah. It carries um, some weight, but not as much as a full full station. So, right. yeah, his. Uh, do you want to tell him what Mercury they are? and his Mars? Mercury and Mars. Yeah. 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 So you've well, got Mercury, of course, definitely retrograde. You know, and uh, that yeah. the characteristic, as I would see it, the characteristic wounding of the throat chakra that's associated with that. This was someone who, whose grandfather had been quite a good uh, pianist who studied with the, the English Chopin, John Field, but his father was a military man. And I'm sure he must have suffered a great deal um, under that. And of course the father eventually sank the, the family into debt because of his inveterate gambling and then abandoned them. And Rachmaninoff, of course, has the, the characteristic sign of the orphan, the son in the 12th house, you know. Um, right. Yeah. And, and you've got Mercury Ridge. Go ahead, Doug. Well, all of that, that though uh, stellar that you have as far as Mercury, Neptune run in there, are yeah. in trying to Jupiter. And it's yeah. tight. Yeah. I mean, it puts so much emphasis on that. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And I also find that Mars, you know, in Scorpio and it's retrograde, that's got to be one of the hardest ones to have, <laughs> you know, retrograde. Yeah. That sign. Mars retrograde? Yeah. I wouldn't even yeah. want Mars in Scorpio. I have it. I wouldn't want it, I said. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, 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 you know, very strong by essential dignity. I've got Mars retrograde, but it's in Pisces. So, ah, you know, that's its, that's its traditional night rulership, Pisces. But still, it's, it's Mars retrograde can be difficult. And, you know, I think I did touch on this in my essay. You know, here he was in the, 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 uh, premier of the first symphony, you know, burdened with, first of all, a hostile reception from the people in St. Petersburg, because he was from Moscow, and he was definitely not on his home turf. Mm -hmm. He had been a protege of Nikolai Rimsky-Gorsakov, who Ooh. was, you know, a great uh, composer in his own right, but Rimsky-Gorsakov viewed the symphony as being too progressive, Okay, and then he had his, his colleague Glazunov, again, another composer, who didn't rehearse the orchestra enough, and who some people said was actually drunk Oh. For the premiere, oh, good. so he, so, so a, a person with Mars retrograde would not be able to confront that in any assertive no. way, no. Right? you know, and no. so that might be another reason that he he sank into depression was because oh, sure. he probably should have spoken up and you know and asserted himself, but he didn't have the wherewithal to do it. And you know, I would say the combination of Mercury retrograde and Mars retrograde would be particularly lethal in that regard. Yeah, so he wouldn't yeah, be yeah. able to say anything, and but just also really yeah. upset. You know, and yeah. not being able to express it. At the same yeah. time, he's got that Mars square in his Jupiter, which is yeah. in perfect trying to his Mercury. 
Yes, yeah. and it, I mean this thing had, goes around and around like a man. He had the tools, but he wasn't sure what the heck to do with them. Yeah, pushing the yeah. wrong button at the wrong time. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah, that whole chart is a a bucket chart basically by formation because uh, yeah. Mars being right at the handle, so oh, you know it, it's going to take a lot of work to incorporate that because it's yeah. all by itself over there, you know, yeah, and. Um, it's it doesn't get much help. Well, there's a, a little bit of help, but not that much help to express itself. The square to Jupiter may actually be the biggest help he got. Well, that's true, but it is yeah. retrograde, so yeah. so it it could be that he takes it out on himself. Well, you would. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point. I, I mean, I again, I can speak from personal experience because that's exactly how oh, mine yeah. lays out. Because Mars is a handle of a bucket. Yeah, you know, and it, it takes longer to develop that self-reliance you know and again particularly if there's an overbearing father which i rather suspect there was in his case is say a military man even though he was apparently an amateur pianist of some ability but that lack of sympathy you know for the for the artistic son you know is i mean it's almost a cliche but nevertheless it Mm -hmm. yeah it probably played out and uh and of course, because of his gambling, he lost the family fortune. And I mean, you know, oh, his father did. Basically, has, yes. Oh and, my goodness. You know, he was definitely he was white Russian aristocracy. Well, that would explain and, all that Taurus in his chart. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't you feel yeah. that a lot has to do with that Pluto Venus conjunct right on top of that ascendant? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, on the back yeah. side, as far as in the twelfth house, that had to play yeah. into this. Feel like powerless because he he's got a depth to his music that's totally different. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it yeah. really is. You know, it's, well, it's, it's from his suffering. You know, and, and he talks about that—the idea that music should express that that pathos in the very best sense. You know. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. And but also the soft, poignant, romantic stuff too. Like oh the yeah. Juxtapose no, both of those is is. That's the Venus plane when the Mercury, when the yeah, Pluto didn't have time to get in there. I know. As yeah. Venus conjoined the North Node. I mean, that's what he's here to learn about is, you know, and it's Venus in its own sign. So, yeah. you, you know, you have a very strong leaning towards the feminine. Okay, I have a question. And I'm yeah, going to wait till after the break to ask it because it's something that just occurred to me. So anyway, okay, okay well, I'm going to come back. I'm going to just going to hold this over. I'm going to say pregnant pause, kids. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we can hardly wait. I can sure. I'm sure you can't. Anyway, so anyway, we're going to take a break right now. This is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. <laughs> And this is a live read for Barra Full of Monkeys Productions. Yay, team, by Matt Shea. Matt has started a new venture, the Barrel Full of Monkeys Productions, which will be a collection of Matt's writings in a mini studio book form. Doug and I myself are a part of this new and fun group, along with KKNW host Kevin McDonald and Matt. Our first audio book is now out and is only $5, and you can order that on mattsheabooks.net. In the meantime, you can browse Matt's updated and redesigned website. Matt would love to hear from you and promises to answer any or all that contact him. You can write to him at his personal email address at workinmatt7 at aol.com. 
On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed for the first time Dr. Drayvon James, founder of Everyday Peace. Her goal is to educate, empower, and inspire others to build the life of their dreams no matter what shows up, good, bad, or otherwise. On Saturday, we spin the platters as we play DJs for a day with Labor Day music as we take a break from our working life. Bringing you mastery and mystery one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Walking your talk? Take us with you. The KKNW app makes streaming our programming easy on your phone or tablet. Wow. That is such a different mood. Well, Venus played out there very Just well. Just a bit, don't you think? <laughs> wow. Okay, this is this is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. I am Eileen Grimes, astrologer with Doug Johnston, astrologer, plus our guest, Michelangelo. Michelangelo, welcome back. Thank you, guys. Okay. It, and uh, you should have said astrologer. He is that, too. Astrologer. (laughs) (laughs) I just had this thought just before we went to break, and I remember doing another reading for somebody with a similar signature as this, and I told them about my insight that I was getting, and they said that's exactly how I feel. My feeling is is this man was making a sex change this lifetime. That's interesting. Yeah, because coming in as a masculine energy, Mars, yeah, yeah. and he's heading towards the feminine in Venus that can join his North Node. So, yeah. which would probably explain a lot of his, his tug of war inside. Was he go to the deep masculine, really heavy duty, almost militaristic sound, or do you go for the light, gentle stuff? So, yeah. I, I, it's just a thought I had because I, yeah. I've seen this happen in charts like this where they're making a sex change, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, I mean, if you kind of lay that over his whole life, it might even apply to his life. So, mm-hmm. what do you think? Interesting. Yeah. It's a thought. So Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you have an interesting, um, you have an interesting balance of yang and yin, you know. You, and, and the interesting thing, too, about the chart is that he has so many dignified planets. I mean, he has Venus and Taurus, he has Mars and Scorpio, he has the sun exalted in Aries, right? He has Saturn in, in its own rulership in uh Aquarius and yeah. there was one other one I forget what they are so there's a it's a very dynamic chart and and you know this is the paradox I think of the how shall I put it of, of the uh, the fine artist particularly I think we're talking about music is that for men and also obviously for women as well but for men in particular the challenge of, of being able to embrace your yin you know, mm-hmm. And to uh-huh. not be threatened by it, you know, right. not to have feel that it undermines your masculinity, right? You know, uh, you know, if we look at it again, just in sheer terms of, of pianism, you know, a piano is essentially a percussive instrument, right? In order to play it, you have to make it sing, and that's where your, that's where your Venusian component comes in, and, and so right. he has those two, exactly opposite each other in the chart, and the, right. the challenge of integrating those, which obviously wasn't much of one because he was a prodigy, you know, and right, uh, exactly started very young, age four, you know, yeah, right, hit the solar arc, Venus hit the ascendant, you know, I mean, okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, the thing of it, too, I saw a picture of him. I think it might have been one of the pictures on your your thing that you sent me of him at very young. And I looked at his, and he was handsome. I mean, really handsome. But I noticed that, oh, my God, the Venus is showing up. I could see it in his face, sort of a feminine sort of. 
yeah. then there was the masculine there. It's like two of them were fighting each other to come out. You know, what's yeah. going to come out first or who's going to be on top tonight? Excuse me. I had to say that. But anyway, um, yeah. so it's like he was seemed like he had that war within himself. You know, yeah, I'd, I'd rather suspect you're right. You okay. Know, uh, so, well, in I mean, with Taurus rising, you know, um, and, 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 you know, a fair number of agencies in Taurus there. Yes, you know, right. And 12th house, some people never see themselves clearly. Oh, yeah. They never do. No, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah they don't have, they have a real hard strong time percent. seeing that. Yeah, even yeah. if it's in Aries, but it's still difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting because. He might have even felt as though he he was a morph a person that could morph between those two, because twelve house people oftentimes just they just change from one energy to the next, and it's just something within them that changes that doesn't have to happen outside them. So yeah. they can literally be a shapeshifter at any time. So I mean, it would seem like his music would reflect that too. I bet when he was playing the piano, to him it was meditation. Yeah, big time. Or it was very, very meditates warrors. on a regular basis would get the same impact that he gets by sitting down to a piano. Right, exactly. And then, but yeah. then some of the softer things, or maybe even that prelude in C sharp minor, that was very, very boom. That's called know. the awakening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounded like marching of a you know bunch of people walking down the street. But you know, it, it had a very masculine flavor to it. So, I mm -hmm. mean, it would depend on his mood on any given time. And because of all that 12th house, he could shift moods like anything, like nothing you could even believe. Just like whatever, yeah. what side of the bed he wakes up on in any given morning, you know. Well, and, probably Mercury with Neptune would have a lot to do with that. I oh, think. yeah. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the flowing of, 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 of uh, not, Neptune's obviously not in Pisces, but, right. but nevertheless, yeah. you know, through its connection with Pisces, the flowing of the water. I right. think it makes it easy to uh, to uh, do that. Do you think he possibly might have written music for ballet? Oh yeah, no, he wrote he wrote a number of ballets. As I okay, because that yeah, sounded yeah. like a ballet. Actually. Yes, it did. Yeah. yeah. Last yeah, I mean, I, I can think of at least one. Anyway, yeah, no, oh he, I th think he wrote in all the major genres. Maybe not string quartet. I'd have to, I'd have to double check it. But opera certainly, and uh, symphony, piano, concerti of various types, songs, of course. No, yeah. what were his operas? I forget. Well, Opera let me think. Uh, or... uh, uh, you know, I, I know there's one on that's the story of Francesca da Rimini. Okay. Um, but I'd be hard pressed to think of the others at the moment because okay. I haven't haven't studied them myself. But, uh, yeah, but I know he wrote at least one or two. Okay. I mean, it would be expected, you know. As I said, that was the the big thing about the uh, failure of the first symphony is that as any kind of serious composer in that era, the okay. hallmark by which your your mastery of the form would be would be measured would be you know the success of your symphony or your opera. So to have your first symphony fail in such a spectacular way was yeah. just yeah. I mean that just had to leave a huge dent in him. It have to, yeah. didn't yeah. that. You know, but but then I want to ask you about his second period when he moved to the United States just yeah. in the tw in 1917. That was just right after the the Russian Revolution or whatever it was, you yeah, know. And, OK. And um, did that ch how did that change him when he moved here? I'm just curious. Well, I, again, I, I haven't I haven't read that much about him recently. But what I would say to you is that there 
through through this entire oeuvre, you know, there is this this melancholy which comes from a sense of loss. Right. So first of right. all, you have to understand the loss of the of the the family fortune, which meant the the disconnection from the land upon which he grew up. Right. Right. So there's right. the first big loss, and of course the, the loss of the father. While admittedly, maybe we would suspect that the relationship was not a supportive one, but okay. still he had that loss. So he was essentially raised by his mother and his grandmother. How, how old because, was he when he lost his dad? Oh, I'd have to check. Uh, I think I had, I think I mentioned it in my article, but okay. before, um, before age 12. Uh, oh, okay. Wow. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then of course, with the loss of the family fortune was the loss of the, of the, uh, the connection to the to the to heritage, and then the exile, then occasioned by the the uh, the Russian Revolution, which forced him to go to the United States. So okay. all of this, you know, informs his his uh, I think his mature uh, outlook and this mm -hmm. this, this constant uh, looking back at, at things that are no longer available. Okay, and I'm I'm sure I mean I think I read somewhere that he never really felt at home in in the United States, and you'd expect that. You know? I mean, well, yes, and, you would. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. He just always looked like he was, his thoughts were way deep down inside of himself in the pictures that are, I've seen of him, you know? Yeah, no, I would definitely concur. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He only wrote one opera. One opera? He only was the one? only one he wrote was the... Oh, did you look it up, Doc? I looked it up real quick because I was curious as to if he did more than one. And it was... Yeah, which one was it? The Misery Night and Friend... Chalica de Rimi. Oh yeah. In the course yeah. of his second season. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I wrote that up here. De Rimini. Okay, I saw that. All right. So yeah. did he actually write two or is just one? Just the one. Just the one. Only one. Okay. He right. was more into the romantic work. Yeah. That's where his he got his biggest right. glory actually because he has sonata after one after another with the movements they were great. So which yeah. segment of uh, which segment of music does he fit under romantic music is he really yeah, he's definitely he's definitely one of the last romantics i would say okay. uh, 10 of the most romantic musicals come from him oh really yeah wow because you know is his is he died in what 1940 something 43 was 43 it okay so if he was writing up until the end then he would probably you know it'd be like almost like tony sensory too he has maybe the yes. blend of that you know, in his music, especially. Yeah, no, you definitely see that. I mean, if you if you compare some of the earlier works to uh, say things like the symphonic dances, as I said, which was his last major uh, work, uh, there there are decided differences. You know, okay. um, there is a less of an overt uh, patina of romanticism um, okay. and more of a, a working out in a very precise way of, of various types of themes. But still, throughout, see, this is uh, you know, I think I did touch on this in my in my piece is this notion that. One of the things that happened to classical music, and I honestly think it had a lot to do with the First World War, was that they gradually abandoned melody. Oh, right? okay. Everything became excessively intellectual. Uh -huh. uh, and so we're still, in a sense, reaping the legacy of that, yeah. you know, let's say 60 years later, where, you know, most, most uh, what's the word I would use? Ser uh, serious, you know, classical composers, mm -hmm. you, you would search in vain for any kind of melody in their compositions. It's almost as if they fear being labeled as 
being sentimental or perhaps derivative. Right. And so Rachmaninoff, like Richard Strauss, was definitely bucking that trend because these were, and Eric Wolfgang Korngold, if you guys know who he was, he oh, yeah. basically mm -hmm. invented Hollywood yeah. film music, but was a world famous opera composer before he did that. Right. These were men that, that bucked the trend of intellectualism who yeah. still felt that melody was a very important yes. expression of music in general. Well, Richard and, Strauss was certainly that way. Yeah, even though yeah, it was definitely. very modern, so I love his music. Yeah, uh, well, I, well, and he and he definitely it. went almost all the way to the brink of atonality with his uh, Opry Electra in 1909. Oh, yeah. But then he stepped away and said, "No, can't go. You know, I can't become Schoenberg, right? I have to write." Yeah, right. You know, and right. so he wrote, you know, beautiful melodies throughout his entire career. Yes, Rachmaninoff's the same thing, and these were the criticisms that were labeled at them was that they were regressive because they refused to sacrifice this essential component of music yeah. and we've seen it to a certain extent i think in pop music if you go back and look at pop music 50 years ago it was replete with with melody yeah we don't find that anymore no, and we have you know, complete you know the true. complete uh, phenomenon of anti-melody and things like rap where there right. is no melody exactly. now i've just um I, I went to see if he did ballets and mm -hmm. a whole different thing came up that said that he actually did three operas oh yeah yeah, I so, thought there was more than one. Yeah, three different operas. Yeah, uh, one was the Isles of the Dead in 1907. Right, that's and right. And then uh, let's see what else is it? Rhapsody of Theme. Mm -hmm. And and then the last one. Used the Brahms of his irritation, the Francesca the di Rimini opera. Okay. I'm reading it as quick as I can go down through this. I'm not seeing where the other one is. Okay. But it does say that he did three okay. yeah. operas instead right. of just the one. All right. So yeah. someone on that first one limited him. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, with Venus Rising, we'd expect that. I mean, you know, the whole idea. He, and of course, he wrote many songs. And yeah. many of the great opera composers really started their careers by writing songs. Richard Strauss certainly did. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yes. um, you know, uh, it, yeah. it's a natural, assuming, you know, one has the capacity to sustain your uh, invention over the whole course of a whole evening. And right. a lot of that depends on the libretto, naturally. But uh, of course, so, but anyway, he had the sheer, sheer uh, invention at his grasp, for sure. Right. And we got to take another break really quick here. And when we get back, we are going to be finishing up with Mr. Michelangelo. Nah, this is Eileen Grimes in the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And this is a live read for Susan Bergstrom of the Medicare Exchange. Medicare coverage is a very important and confusing issue as we near retirement largely because Medicare doesn't cover 100% of your medical costs, only about 80%. That means we will need affordable supplemental coverage that will take care of the 20%. Susan Bergstrom can help us get the best coverage for you. With her, the process is very easy, and in the end, she's going to save you some money. So Susan has some new developments. First are the classes that she is available to through all the programs that she represents. And they are for your kids, and you can other kids can take them too. And also, she has a legacy safeguard newsletter or document that can be done to itemize and organize your final wishes. And it's free. So if you need more information, call Susan at 
888-888-9379 or email her at sbergstrom at americanseniorbenefits.com. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. Wow. That's another mood. You didn't you say, we were talking about the earlier. It seemed kind of playful. It's I, a polka. It's a polka? Oh that's my. at least what it's called, polka. <laughs> wow. That yeah. doesn't that's amazing. Okay. Wow. So well, what do you think of that? Well, again, um, you know, most most serious piano composers would, uh, at some point, write in various dance forms. Okay. So, uh, even though, again, maybe he wasn't a polka kind of guy. You know, you can't well, see if he's him. doing ballets, which he did. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have that kind of music come into play. Right. No question. Somehow, sure. I can't see somebody that's six foot six doing a polka. Well, anything's possible. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I, mean, I don't know, but it just—it's no, the I visual can't see him image. Jigging around. <laughs> see, I can't see him jigging around the dance floor to Myron Florin. No. It's not quite the traditional. That was a very funny visual, Michael. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> that's, that was very funny. That was funny, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what else can we touch on before uh, we say um, I was looking through my little occasion. list here that I made. Um, I was thinking that um, toward the end of his life, he just kind of, didn't he kind of just poop out or something like that? He did he write to the end of his life? Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. but he yeah. did. He they just call that death. They don't call it poop. No, out. no, no. He didn't poop. No, no. Well, I was well, being you kind. Realize that that, that the um, I mean, you have a man here who demonstrated really genius in three levels. He was arguably the greatest pianist since Liszt, and maybe the greatest of all time. Yeah. You know, the marvelous yeah. thing is we can still hear him play. You know, wow. that's extraordinary. Wow. You know, you can find him on YouTube and listen to him. Oh, play that a, I got to do. I got to see. A monstrous pianist. But yeah. he was an extraordinary composer and he was an excellent conductor. So, you know, between those three things, you know, I mean, I think there was a, a, a tremendous amount of impetus in the um, in the life. But still, it's the idea that when you feel that you're not being well received. And I think that was really very much the, the case in his latter career, that even though he wrote these pieces that the public loved, you understand that his appeal with the public has never been in question. Uh, and we would, you know, we'd expect that with the moon conjunct the ascendant, right? He understands on some level what people really want to hear. Despite the fact that the public loved him, the critics did not. And he, you know, um, because he was not going to abandon his sense of, um, heart connection for the sake of this sterile intellectual crap that was right, going on right particularly right up to and certainly after the second world war you know, right I, I really think in many ways that the the first world war dealt a death blow to to feeling mm -hmm. in the west you know from an artistic perspective um and we've we've recovered some of it you know in maybe the last 40 or 50 years but not we can't possibly i think imagine what what it must have been like for people growing up prior to those huge um, cataclysms to right to have been even whatever we want to talk about you know the nature of relations between men and women but men in the 19th century had no trouble connecting i think with feeling not really been the case much in recent decades Gee, you right? think yeah. Yeah, because it's been one Not war enough. after another that they've yeah. been throwing yeah. into. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is this again. This was someone who said, "I can't write music like that. I can't write stuff that that is intellectual and and you know impressive in and of itself. It must 
say something. And yeah. this was that was decidedly at odds with what the main musical mainstream was all about. You know? But the Saturn in Aquarius, he's always going to be very futuristic with his music. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's what they weren't prepared for because they had their own standard that they had in their heads. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where they're Everything being a really battle different. with the critics. I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking about the time of things that were going on during the time he was um, actively composing. I mean, music was just pretty docile around then, I think. Look at how Michael Jackson turned everything on its head with what he did with music. So yeah. uh, I can see where this guy would have been the Michael Jackson of his time. Well, that's an yeah. interesting comparison, but I think that's probably true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, both with natal, both with natal mercury retrograde. I'll point out. Okay, yes, they did. See. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they yeah. did. So, yeah. yeah, that does imply a wound, doesn't it? You know, um, yeah. yeah, they think differently. Yeah, they think in their mind is it not shut down, but it just goes inward and doesn't necessarily expresses what they're thinking right away because they feel that somebody's going to knock them around. You know. Yeah, well, I think we touched on this with Pavarotti before, who oh, also yes. had Mercury yes, retrograde. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. We did. It's the we sense did. that these individuals are not heard mm -hmm. as children. Right. right. And Go so ahead. it takes that much longer for their message to reach out. And I think there is an overcompensation, not necessarily in a neurotic way, but just in, in, in the sense that the, there is something extraordinary that has to be experienced by people. And right. so that you have this then, this, this capacity for this global reach that uh, ensues. Right, exactly. I mean, I was just looking at my notes here, and it said, this is March 28th, 1897. This is the first day that, that the symphony in D was played in the public. Yeah. And this is when literally he had a psychological collapse. Those were your words. You yeah. know, would you call that a breakdown? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay. I, the, the, the other component, which um, I think I touched on, was the idea that he was, I don't know if he was necessarily carrying on an illicit affair with mm -hmm. uh, the wife of a friend of his, but much of his yearning for her was bound up in this oh. uh, in this symphony she was apparently a very beautiful gypsy woman and so the the there's two themes in it there's this of course his favorite dacda theme but then there's also this okay. gypsy violin melody right so the failure of that probably in his own mind would have been a, a romantic failure even okay. if uh yeah even if there wasn't really anything going on except you know uh, something in his own imaginings you know, right but, uh, and we certainly didn't talk about his sexual stuff because let me tell you well let's <laughs> just say that his fantasies may have been better than the real thing <laughs> yeah well sure. Oh, that's, that's probably <laughs> true but he has that yeah. venus pluto opposing mars and scorpio yes. that's like a that's a it's really, a tough chart that's a toughie but, but it's yeah. not my chart yeah well yeah. i have those three aspecting in my chart well you don't want to oh, hear about it <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want to hear boom, about boom. it. Yeah, but it, yeah. it's it's a that's a tough one to have to deal. But I mean, his re the relationship with this woman had to have been all or nothing type of thing for him with that Venus yeah, Pluto. It was yeah. just like a soul thing, and when it ended, oh, that w and probably coincided with the downfall of him after that one performance. I mean, talk yeah. about having having two heavy blows. At the same yeah, time, yeah. took four yeah. years. Professional failure and a personal failure, you know, yes. um, and particularly because he had really been celebrated as an up-and-comer. You know, he was considered the heir of Tchaikovsky as far as his symphonist. He was the protege of Rimsky-Korsakov. Okay, and the 
turns his back on him at this premiere and his, I mean, Cesar Cui, again, another mm -hmm. uh, colleague of his said, well, if, a t you know, there was an apprentice who was working in hell who had to write a symphony about being in hell, this is what this would be. I mean, oh. that's, that's a horrible, a horrible review and, and totally yeah, unwarranted. Right. Although yeah, somebody know, maybe in this day and age would think that would be pretty interesting. But yeah, well, sure. But back then, it well, would not everyone difficult. lives in Washington, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Some it's, of them it's are really in and it's really interesting to see the the timing of it, all of it leading up to his Saturn return. You know, yes. uh, uh, and then his reemergence, of course, with the triumph of the second piano concerto. Right. Uh, right four years later which you know everybody knows the second piano control, right you know i mean it's really yeah. extraordinary yeah. that he was able to emerge from that yeah. abyss of back. melancholic despair and yeah and write this extraordinary uh piece yeah. yeah he's got all he had all that and i think it largely is pluto venus and his pluto stuff in there with all that that aries and taurus had to have been you know a huge impact on him and is the content of his music it had to have been, you know, because yeah. you can hear that in his music. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh. Okay. So anyway, we have to let you go. Darn it. Oh, guys, it's been so much fun. It has been fun. We I love it. We, I hope that we got enough astrological content there for everybody. I think we did. And add <laughs> <Okay>. more. <laughs> so, and we're going to have you on again soon. I have an idea for what I want you to do in the future, and I want to talk to you about it. So. Oh, that'd be great. Yes, that would be lovely. I love having well, you listen, on have here. Listen, have a lovely, have a lovely Labor Day weekend. I Thank hope you. you'll get out and enjoy some fresh air. It's yeah. kind of a crappy day here it, in New York, but it's supposed to be better tomorrow. So we'll that's see. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. We will right. talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Blessings to you both. Thank you. Thank bye bye. You. I know. Okay. So he's wonderful, isn't he? Oh, he's, I think he's delightful. Oh, uh, he's just such a great, great guest, and uh, and he's just okay. So now then, um. Hello, we have one minute. All right, I got to hurry up. So anyway, we're not going to do any um, events today because I'm still up in the air about the um, the after dark readings at, at Pizza Casa, but we'll figure that out sooner or later. Anyway, so can we give you your contact information? Uh, the best way is to call or text 206-769-4924. Okay, and you can get Michelangelo at http www Michelangelo medicalastrology.us now you spell michelangelo's m-i-c-h-e-l-a-n-g-e-l-o at, med at dash medicalastrology.us that's his email address and you can get a hold of me at eileengrimes.com and the jupiterrisingshow.com as well okay so next week we have on ms jackie slevin for the first of the month we're excited following week we have on astrologer mitchell lewis wow what a deal so we will see everybody next week thank you for everybody for listening and this is the jupiter rising show right here on kknw alternative talk radio